Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Any other day with Calvin Ridley, but we also knew that something might go down regarding Aaron Rodgers. I mean, today is the tagging deadline in the NFL. So today is the day where we were supposed to find out what Aaron was going to do. Is he going to retire? Is he going to stay in Green Bay? Is he going to get traded? Could he be on the move to Denver? Might he go to Tennessee? Was Pittsburgh even a possibility? Well, a few minutes ago, apparently, we did get our answer. Ian Rappaport tweets, and I quote, The Packers and MVP QB, Aaron Rodgers, have agreed to terms on a four-year, $200 million deal that makes him the highest-paid player in NFL history, sources say. He gets a whopping $153 million guaranteed. And his cap number goes down. A monstrous commitment by Green Bay for years to come. End of tweet. All right, so if those numbers are accurate, 153 mil guaranteed is a massive, massive deal. And I'm just going to say it. He's worth it. He's earned every single penny. And of course, he's staying put in Green Bay. Of course he's staying there. Look, I'm not saying that he didn't put a lot of thought into it. I'm sure he did. But let's go ahead and be real for a minute. Did anybody really think this guy was going to go to Denver? Did anybody really think this guy was going to go to Tennessee? Don't get me wrong. Both are nice teams. I love the Titans. There's a lot to like about Denver. And I love the Titans. But did anybody really ever think or see Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. Tom Brady as quarterback of the Titans. Can't believe how weird that would have looked. Once both sides patched things up in this relationship over the past couple of months, it sure seemed like the only place he was going to play would be Green Bay. You know, you heard that talk about how Green Bay... If Aaron did not want to be there, they could have moved quickly. They could have got him out of the NFC. They could have moved him to the AFC. Or maybe if they weren't willing to do that, they could have made it so either you play for us, you retire. All right, fine. And knowing Aaron the way we know Aaron, I'm sure that he considered every last option. But if he was going to play and he was not going to retire, and he had other options if he did want to retire, but if he wanted to play more, only one place made sense. No other team was going to give him a better chance of winning a Super Bowl. As disappointing as the end of the last few seasons have been, Green Bay still far and away gives him the best chance to win. It's a place he knows. He knows his teammates. He knows the strengths and weaknesses of everybody around him. He knows the coaches. He loves Green Bay. I mean, was this guy really just going to show up in Denver or Tennessee or anywhere else and try and learn on the fly? this far into his career, and win a Super Bowl at the same time. Now, I'm not saying that would have been impossible. I'm just saying that would have been really hard to do. This was not a Tampa Bay plug-and-play situation for him. And credit to the Packers for putting up all that money. Money that the guy has earned, and credit to them for admitting that they were wrong when they drafted Jordan Love and tried to run Rodgers out the door. Let me repeat that. Credit to the Packers for admitting that they were wrong for drafting Jordan Love and trying to run Rodgers out the door. 
We shouldn't really need to be giving them credit for realizing what a terrible move that was. But plenty of teams make terrible moves, and then they double down on that terrible move because they will not admit the mistake. The Packers at least knew they were heading down a terrible road. They realized it was dumb. They made it right. Then again, what else could they say? The guys won the MVP award twice in a row. But credit for getting it right. Then again, it was a total unforced error, a total unforced error to create this mess in the first place and waste all this time and energy in trying to fix it. But at least they did. At least they did. So now the question is, what do you do with Jordan Love? In other words, when they do fully admit that they screwed up, then what do they do? And the fact that this is coming out today makes you think that they've got something in store for Devontae Adams, right? I'd be stunned if Aaron were coming back on that deal if his favorite receiver was going to be leaving in a few days. Find a hard time believing that that was going to happen. That gives them the opportunity to franchise Adams and bring that group back together. In other words, what I'm saying is it sure looks like last year's last dance was not the last dance at all. Enormous money, multi-year deal. We don't have to go Brett Favre with it and go through this every single year going forward. They got it right. He got it right. They got it right. They did the right thing. They admitted they made a big mistake, and they fixed it. Credit for that. Shouldn't have done that in the first place, but credit for everybody understanding that this gives us our best chance to win and win right now. So your reaction, Packer fan, NFL fan, 1-800-636-8686. And don't get caught up and start hand-wringing either about how they overpaid him. No, they didn't. He earned every last penny of that. We've gone over this a million times. It's all about timing and and it's all about being that guy. He's been the best quarterback in the game the last couple of years. And timing. And they need him. By the way, he needs them. Good, good move all the way around. And it did buy Calvin Ridley like eight minutes. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? We are joined by their head coach, Griff Aldrich. Griff, it is so good to have you on. How are you? Well, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure. It is a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm really eager to talk about your amazing journey. But before we do that, can you take me back to Sunday when you beat Winthrop by 21 to win the Big South tourney and clinch a spot in the NCAA tournament? I'm curious, as the clock was winding down, what was running through you emotionally? Well, you know, um, I, I'm a I'm a fairly task oriented guy, and it, it probably didn't really dawn on me um, that we were going to win. Um, I, I still remember with three minutes left, thinking, I, "Okay, I know I look at the scoreboard a lot, but I, it, sometimes it doesn't register what what it's actually telling me." 
and uh, I'm probably a pretty risk-averse guy, so I'm constantly thinking, okay, how is this going to go wrong? And it wasn't until about a minute left when uh, our junior forward, Leslie and Carrium, was standing next to me, and I turned around, and he looked at me, and he goes, Coach, we did it. And uh, he just gave me a big bear hug. And, uh, uh, you know, Leslie was in, in uh, my first recruiting class and has, has been through the journey with us. Uh, and uh, that's when it was just a lot of emotion. And, oh, my gosh, it's, it's really going to happen. It is really going to happen, and it's going to happen for the first time in program history. Of course, you were part of one of the most magical NCAA tournament moments ever when you were at UMBC, and you had that amazing 16 over a one win against Virginia. So what does the NCAA tournament mean to you, and what does it mean to know that your players at Longwood are going to get that opportunity? Well, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I was a Division three player who you know, wasn't good enough to play on, on this stage. But I grew up in in ACC country and just was a avid, you know, college basketball fan. And you know, one shining moment was a annual, you know, highlight for me. Um, and I still, you know, tear up oftentimes when I when I see it. And um, you know, so to to kind of be a part of this is is just you know truly remarkable. And, and for our players, and, and not just our players, but our university and our community, you know, Longwood is, is, is a really special place. It's a, you know, I often call it a hidden gem. And um, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful school that, that um, is, uh, uh, you know, has incredible, you know, nurturing values, um, but, but like I say, a hidden, a hidden gem. And for, for this this university and this community to, to be able to celebrate and just enjoy the pride. You know, we're often in the shadows of Virginia Tech and, and UVA and VCU, um, but to be able to stand on the stage with a lot of pride and, and be able to put our chests out and, uh, and, and have people take notice of, of what a, what a neat, neat school and, and university and community that, that we're a part of is, is, is truly magical. It's the best thing ever. Griff Aldrich is joining yeah. us for talking Longwood basketball. Now, I know you don't want to make it about you, but your journey really is something. You played your college ball at Hampton, Sydney, and then you had an opportunity lined up with Dave Odom at Wake Forest. But at the same time, you also applied to the University of Virginia Law School, and you were accepted. What happened when you told Coach Odom about that? What did he tell you? Well, well, I didn't tell him. I wouldn't have told him because okay. I, I, uh, I'd become really close with the Odom family. Ryan and I... Uh, Ryan Odom and I had, were best of friends um, at Hampton Sydney, and um, you know, so of course Ryan knew. I don't. I'm not even sure the Odoms knew I had applied to law school. Um, and Ryan told his mother uh, that I had gotten in, and uh, she, of course, goes, "Dave, you know, Griff got into Virginia Law School," and you know, of course, they had been at UVA and, and knew that that was a, a neat thing. And, and, you know, he just looked at me and said, well, you're not coming to wake next year. He said, you need to go differentiate yourself, go to law school. You can always come back and coach with me, but, but you can't always go to law school. And uh, so <laughs> that, that was that. And uh, I, I ended up going to law school and, you know, that, that was incredible advice, which I didn't love at the time, but uh 
um, it was the right thing to do and and uh, wouldn't trade it for anything now. All right, so the amazing thing is, and I'm cutting through this story, but you did go to law school, and not only that, you at one point had founded an oil and gas company. You also worked in private equity. You were making really good money. How in the world did you circle back to basketball, and I would imagine leave all that money on the table and take a shot and a risk on yourself? Well, you know, um, Jim, that faith is a big thing, uh, and, and really the foundation for, for me and my family and my wife. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the story has to be understood through that lens. Um, you know, we were heavily involved with the Christian ministry in, in, uh, Houston's third ward, which is, you know, one of the, uh, impoverished areas of, of, uh, uh, third of Houston, and we were coaching AAU there. We actually lived in the community, um, and uh, that had become a huge part of our lives. And uh, I, I was really enjoying the private equity work that I was doing. Um, it was challenging times, you know, within the oil and gas sector. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the basketball and, and the, the mentoring and the growth that we were seeing in our, in our players – uh, and, and what we thought, you know, could really happen with that program was really exciting. Um, the, the program had an education element, it had a spiritual element, and then it certainly, you know, of course had athletics and we were using the hook of basketball to, to try to, uh, really impact, um, you know, the young, young men that were in our program, uh, from the neighborhood. And we were seeing a lot of fruit, and um, it was really at that point that I, I, I felt like, you know, God might be calling me to be more engaged with uh, mentoring and, uh, you know, being more engaged with basketball. And so I never really anticipated college was, you know, on the table, um, but it was my wife, Julie. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm, I'm risk-averse. So... You know, I thought, hey, let's just stay in the private sector, keep doing this AAU stuff. My, my wife is the adventurous one, um, and, uh, you know, she's, she's brought all the richness to my life. Uh, but she was the one who said, well, don't you love college? I said, well, yeah, of course I love college, but, sweetie, that ship sailed. Like, I'm 42, and, like, you can't just go get a college coaching job and um, – and so, um, you know, but again, I think divine intervention uh, arose um, because around that time, uh, about three months later, Ryan got the job at UMBC and, um, you know, offered me a position to, to join him. And, uh, you know, it was we just felt really called to do it. Griff, it's an amazing story, an amazing story of faith, an amazing story of reinvention. It is truly remarkable. So final thought, what's going to be your message then to your players between now and your first NCAA tournament game with them? Well, you know, I think it's you, the, our, our program is very much, we talk about pouring into the root, controlling what you can control, your your focus, your effort, your attitude. And I've been really blessed this year with a great group of, of high character guys who, uh, and I think that's really the, the, the core of our success this year has been, you know, the character of this team. Um, and so our, our focus has to be on uh, controlling what we can control. And we always say, look, the, the outcome will be what the outcome will be. Uh, we can't control that. We can't control whether the shots go in, whether we get the calls, whether, 
um, you know, we dribble the ball off our foot or not uh, on any particular day. We just can control what we can control, and um, you know that's that's going to be our going to be our approach. He is the Longwood head basketball coach. He is the Big South coach of the year. Longwood, 26-6, 15-1-conference play, and they are, in fact, going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. But if I would finally say this, I, I've made the point before. I went to UC Santa Barbara, and we had never been to the tournament, and when we went for the first time, I will never, ever forget that. I've done this for decades, and that is still one of my favorite moments ever in sports, so I do understand this, and I know what that means to the kids there. It's a small school. They will never forget it, and I know you understand that too absolutely absolutely and jim i don't know if we have time for a quick aside and if we don't that's okay but if we do i'd love to share one quick funny story about you yeah hit me up so in 1995 uh the jim rome show uh was was a big thing at hampton sydney college you know all-male college and we were a good division three team and it was spring break and we were in the sweet 16 and one of your callers called in from New Jersey and said, hey, I'm calling to uh, send a shout-out to Rowan University. They're in the Division Three men's basketball tournament going on right now. And you jumped in, and, and we were all excited. Hey, Division Three is going to get some love. And Jim Rum goes, yeah, get out there and support those guys. They, they play basketball just like the D1 guys. And then you paused and said, just not as good. That, that sounds like a young Jim Rome, Griff. Hey, thank you very much for forgiving me for that. Hey, no, we loved it. We, I love we it. Still, we still talk about it. Listen, the very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio. That keeps your investments close to where you want them. That way your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups needed. Visit m1finance.com slash sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud super fans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. I got to be real about this. This Calvin Ridley story is like the most insane story I've heard in a long, long time. This guy placed arguably the worst bet of all time and lost. Huge. I mean, let's not confuse this with a bad beat. This is a bad bet. Arguably the worst bet ever. So the NFL announced yesterday that the Falcons have suspended their wide receiver for, quote, at least all of 2022 for betting on NFL games. He will not be eligible for reinstatement until after next year's Super Bowl. Again, you want to talk about a headline that gets your attention. Yes, Aaron Rodgers got top billing. But you want to talk about a headline that gets your attention. It's that one. Because players betting on games, players betting on games is the thing 
the thing that professional leagues and college sports lay awake at night thinking about and worrying about. You cannot have that. And then the league busts one of its own, a marquee player, for betting on NFL games. And then when you get into the details of how this went down and what happened, every new detail is more absurd than the one before it. According to the league, Ridley placed his bets in November. All right? Weird enough and only about to get even more weird. Now, normally weird is good. Normally, I love weird. Normally, weird is good. But in this case, weird is just dumb. Really, really dumb. These bets were placed reportedly in November while he was on a five-day break from the team to address his mental health. Now, let me be very clear about this. Mental health and taking care of your mental health is incredibly serious. I'm glad the team supported him during that time, and I'm glad that team gave him time off. It's a serious issue. However, how do you say you're taking time off to deal with your mental health and then go place bets on NFL games? You're taking time off to get things right, not to start gambling. You're taking time off to get things right, not to get down. You don't take time off from the team and then head right to a betting window. What an incredible move. And it gets even better. Let me read this tweet from Jonathan Jones. Quote, Calvin Ridley got caught because he placed a legal mobile bet in Florida with Hard Rock. They notified Genius Sports, who oversees betting integrity for the NFL. Ridley placed three, five, and eight-game parlay bets that did include the Falcons per source. End quote. So, did you hear that? This dude got caught because he used his own phone and his own name and his own account to place bets. I think it's absolutely hilarious that the company that caught him was Genius Sports. Because it's pretty clear Ridley is no rocket scientist. You don't need to brand yourself Genius Sports to catch Calvin Ridley placing bets while using Calvin Ridley's phone and Calvin Ridley's account. The only thing dumber than Calvin Ridley placing bets on Calvin Ridley's phone would be Calvin Ridley showing up in the sports book in person wearing a Calvin Ridley jersey and getting down. If you're an NFL player betting on your own phone with your own account, you may as well just show up to the sports book wearing your full uniform, including pads, eye black, and maybe even mixing some grass stains on your pants. You know, just kind of roll in there on a golf cart cheer the team on during the game, and then dump a Gatorade bucket on your own head when you win. That actually would be more intelligent because everybody would think there's no way Calvin Ridley is dumb enough to show up in a Calvin Ridley jersey and place a bet. But apparently he was and is. And again, I want to be really sensitive to the mental health side of this. But from what I've seen, none of this has anything to do with his mental health. I haven't seen anybody claim that gambling is a part of his mental health issues. Now, as far as how much he bet, he allegedly put down a total of 1500 bucks. And by being suspended for the entire year, 
And again, it's at least a year. By being suspended for an entire year, he's going to lose more than $11.1 million. Dude bet $1,500 and lost over eleven mil. Worst bet in the history of the world. Congrats. You just placed and lost the worst bet ever. You bet $1,500 to lose $11.1 mil. You could not find worse odds anywhere. There has never been a bet in the history of the world that had odds that horrible. And yet you made it. And now he's paying the price. And as always, all together now, hope that was worth it. Although I know it wasn't. The league wants to be really clear that he bet parlays, that he did include his own team winning on all three bets, and that he didn't have any inside info or knowledge about the games that he was betting on. All right, I guess. I'd love to know how they know what he did and didn't know, but that's a question for another time. The question for right now is, Would the league have been able to catch Calvin Ridley if Calvin Ridley was not using Calvin Ridley's phone and Calvin Ridley's account and Calvin Ridley's name? Look, I'm not naive enough to think that he's the first football player to bet on the NFL while still in the NFL. In fact, Josh Shaw was busted back in 2018 for betting on games while he was on injured reserve. So this is not ancient history. This is not like a Paul Hornig, Alex Karras thing. This went down only a couple of years back. So there's even less of an excuse for Ridley. And I'm sure there have been other guys down through the years that have done the same thing that we did not know about. However, Ridley is the first guy to do it and then jump right on Twitter after he got caught. And by the way, that did not make anything better. Earlier this week after he would have learned about the investigation, he tweeted, quote, I learned from my L's, end quote. Cool. Because, my man, you just took the biggest L ever. You just took an L with an $11 million price tag. That's a pretty expensive lesson to learn. Pretty steep tuition to learn that you can't bet on games. Something that everybody already knew. Something that every player already knew. You cannot bet on games. Every player in every sport knows you can't do that because it's hammered into all of them repeatedly. It's posted in virtually every locker room. Everybody knows it. It's impossible not to know it. But then after the news broke, he tweeted, quote, I bet 1500 total. I don't have a gambling problem, end quote. Hey, nobody's saying you do, my man. Nobody's saying you have a gambling problem. But they might be saying you have an intelligence problem. And you definitely have an $11 million problem. You don't have a gambling problem. Yeah, that's cool. You have an accounting problem. You have an IQ problem. And when I see a tweet like that, I've got to think, Calvin, I don't think you are learning from this L. The issue here is not that you bet $1,500 total. It's that you bet anything at all because you can't do it. You just lost 11 mil for betting on NFL games. You cannot bet on NFL games. You just can't. There's no way around it. Everybody knows it. At this point, somebody needed to take his phone away from him and lock the account or delete the account. But that didn't happen. My man just kept trying to tweet right through it. Quote, I couldn't even watch football at that point. End quote. Again, this is not the problem. 
Like, how clueless can you be? You couldn't watch football at that moment, but you could bet on it. Like, how does that make any sense? And then he chased out with, quote, just going to be more healthy when I come back, end quote. I mean, dude, whatever works for you, you're just going to be more healthy when you come back. Just know that you probably no longer work for the Atlanta Falcons. Know that. And yet he still was not done. Quote, I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. And it's weed. Nothing says learning from your L's like capping a tweet with LOL. That's pretty awesome. You just got banned for a year. Your time in Atlanta is probably done. Maybe even the rest of your career. And you're LOLing. I mean, hilarious. I just set my career and $11 million on fire. And I did it for 1500 bucks. Laugh out loud. Laugh out loud. And then... And then one more quote. If you know me, you know my character. End of quote. My guy, this is not helping. This is not making anybody think that you're any better or brighter by staying on Twitter to bang out these moronic tweets. Take the L. Take the L and your bill for 11 mil and keep moving because this is one of the dumbest moves of all time. Your reputation is shattered from now on. If you do get a second chance, the moment you drop a pass or you run the wrong route, people are going to wonder if you're taking a dive. And you can't tweet your way through that horrible damage to your bank account or your reputation. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Hope that was worth it. But I know it wasn't. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw anything in sports that dumb. And literally nothing is coming to mind. I'm having a hard time finding anything that dumb in life. Investing in a restaurant thinks betting 1500 to lose $11 million is a bad gamble. You would have had better odds flushing stacks of cash down the toilet. Owning racehorses believes you need to be more intelligent with your money. In the grand list of things that are not worth it, your act just took over first place. You just ousted having a kid to save a failing marriage and eating seafood at a restaurant with a C rating. That's some of the dumber things ever. I mean, insane. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. 
He is Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, really busy day. Nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy that Aaron got it out of the way for the most part. I am still being told right now, Jim, as it stands right now, that the deal has not been signed. It is not completely done. But, of course, that's just trying to wring out one little bit of excitement about this. He ultimately is going back to the Packers. All right, so then that is the very latest. It's not quite done yet. Does it pretty much answer the question when, in fact, it is done, Jonathan, that he will be a Packer for life? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and that's the funny thing about these contracts and about this money. And if anyone has followed the NFL for a couple of free agency seasons, we do know that the initial numbers aren't always what the official numbers wind up being. But I'm told that the deal will average around $50 million in new money. And so that's money that is added on to this deal. This is not a deal from scratch, of course. This is an extension. So you're going to absorb some of what was already on the books add to it. So is it $200, $200 million in new money? Um, you know, all of that is to be determined, but he will, uh, depending on how you want to frame it, uh, be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. Jonathan Jones is joining us. So it's impossible to say at this point, of course, but if you had to guess, kind of get in his head for a minute, do you expect him to try to play all four years that are on that contract? It's hard to imagine that that's going to be the case. And so, of course, the Green Bay Packers, uh, in, in their great wisdom, should have some trap doors that they can exit through at some point. Or, you know, at some point soon, in 2023 and beyond, we're going to see the spike in the salary cap uh, thanks to the broadcast deals. We're going to see the money that comes in more from gambling. And so the cap is going to go up considerably. And so even if you push off those gigantic cap numbers into, let's say, 2025 and he is no longer playing there and use a, a very recent example of Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what dead cap he has left there that's not going to be such a big issue for the Green Bay Packers one because the cap will be going up and then two frankly because you will have hoped to have won another Lombardi maybe two with Aaron Rodgers and so who cares what your cap situation is once you have secured another trophy right Jonathan Jones is joining us all right so if the Packers were to decide to trade Jordan Love what can they realistically expect to get in return? You know, I, I, I've seen people say, hey, the Packers need to hold out and try to get a second-round pick out of Jordan Love. I texted around with a couple of NFL executives earlier today who didn't think the Packers could get too much for him and, in fact, should keep Jordan Love. From my perspective, it only helps the Packers to go ahead and trade Jordan Love for something at least a fourth-round pick because – you have a championship team that cannot get over the hump in Green Bay. You have a, a former first-round quarterback. That is an asset uh, almost anywhere in the NFL. And so, no, are you going to get a first-rounder for him now? No, but if you look at a team like a Washington, maybe a Denver, a Carolina, and I'm not suggesting that any of those teams wind up trading for Jordan Love, but if their prospects are – pay Mitch Trubisky and Andy Dalton-like to the Dallas Cowboys deal or draft one of these quarterbacks that they're not entirely sure could start in week one or may even be better than Jordan Love in a few months, that maybe you should send a third or a fourth rounder to Green Bay in order to uh, get Jordan Love and let Brian Gutekunst use that to make his team better. Will that ultimately happen? I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon by the start of free agency. But once we get through this wave and teams are still without a quarterback and they start looking at the draft and 
They're not falling in love with these guys. Maybe we see a deal get done at that point. Jonathan Jones is joining us. I agree with you. Like right now, it feels like a fourth to me, but as time plays out and we see how this thing develops, maybe they do better, but that's how it feels to me too. Let me ask you this. What were your immediate thoughts when you heard the news that Calvin Ridley had been suspended for the 2022 season for betting on NFL games? I thought that, well, surely he didn't bet on his own team because if he did, that it would have been even more severe. So I think, and I know there's been a lot of discussion, Jim, I think that Calvin Ridley sort of got off easy uh, here, That the fact that he bet on his own team. Now, listen, it was a parlay. It wasn't on props. Uh, the NFL says they investigated. He wasn't talking to any of his teammates. And, of course, he bet on the Falcons to win the game and not lose. And so perhaps some of those are mitigating factors. I was told that at least as it related to whether he bet on the Falcons or not, that was not a mitigating factor. But as you see the NFL get more involved with these gambling companies, uh, the punishment had to be severe and it had to be swift. And so the Falcons learned about it on February 9th. And then less than a month later, at least one year suspension is handed down. So, you know, Calvin Ridley, a very, very expensive parlay there that, of course, did not pay off. My man, like he bet fifteen hundred bucks to lose a minimum of eleven point one million, worst bet ever. So, what is your reaction when you see him tweeting, "quote I bet fifteen hundred total. I don't have a gambling problem." Well, the problem here is <laughs> the problem here is that every NFL player it is made extremely clear to them, and frankly, to all NFL staffers, you can't bet on NFL games. And I've seen folks get twisted into a pretzel trying to say, oh, you should be able to bet on your own team if you want them to win. Hey, all that. Just, just, it's a blanket policy. Just don't bet on the game. Uh, you know, you want to go bet on, uh, in the Winter Olympics and who's going to win in bobsled? I don't really have a problem with that, and I don't think the NFL does either. But you just can't bet on the product and in the sport uh, for, for which you are employed. I think that's a pretty simple one. I don't, I don't think that there's much dis- there shouldn't be much disagreement with that. And so Calvin Ridley didn't follow that very simple um, edict, and he's paying the price. Jonathan, honestly, I think these arguments, and I've seen the exact same arguments, I know what you're talking about. I think those arguments are almost as dumb is the act of betting on the NFL itself. It is so obvious to everybody. Well, in fact, let me put that in the form of a question. I, yes, the bets were legal, but is there any way that he could have thought that it would be okay to bet on games? Is there any way at all this guy did not know or understand the policy and the rule? Well, I will tell you this, and here is my only issue, and this is an issue I've brought up in a number of places over the years. I fear... Uh, that that sports betting can be too ubiquitous, that it can be too easy. I, I struggle to think that Calvin Ridley would actually walk into a sports book and place a bet and let his face be seen, right? But because of the ease of using that app and, and clicking a couple times, and okay, I placed a bet, whether he did it under his own name or not, and very clearly um, the, the Hard Rock book let genius sports know and they – sort of uh, do the integrity uh, of bets for the NFL, and that's how the NFL got word of Calvin Ridley doing this when he was dead to rights. You know, that, that maybe it, just, it shouldn't be that easy to do what he did. But all that said, I don't want to absolve Calvin Ridley of a very stupid mistake. And I think, frankly, Calvin Ridley, as he tweets through it, is raising his hand saying, yeah, that was dumb. 
Jonathan Jones joining us. I mean, you're right. It is very, very easy because of that app. And that app is going to make them billions and billions and billions of dollars. And this is what the NFL has always been so concerned about, Jonathan. You and I know this. And then it changed so dramatically. But if the NFL were concerned about this, and really all sports are, but if they were concerned about it before the legalization of gambling because of the integrity of the game and what the fans might think, can you imagine what their concern would be now that you have so many millions of people gambling so many billions of dollars yeah it's huge and frankly we have another issue right now that uh, where they were allowing sports team owners or nfl team owners to get involved with these gambling companies that was one of the biggest issues emanating from the brian flores lawsuit as it relates to stephen ross and of course that is still being investigated the allegations of being of offering to be paid uh to tank and lose games well it's troubling when your firm invested nearly $18 million in some of these sports betting uh, platforms. And uh, that's where you start getting entangled. And it's all about the perception. When you talk about integrity, we have to believe that everything is on the up and up here or else the foundation of all of this begins to crater and falter. And so, you know, even with the Calvin Ridley thing, right, you look at the statement from the NFL and he had no contact with anybody on the team and he bet them to win, et cetera. Listen, maybe he didn't, but I've been in NFL locker rooms. Uh, it, it is, it's a little bit hard for me to believe that over a five-day span when he's placing bets that he didn't at some point contact one of his current and or former teammates. I'm not at all saying he got any inside information, but the idea that he's not in contact with these guys was a little bit difficult for me to believe. Right. Jonathan Jones is joining us. So how do you see his career going from here? For instance, do you think the Falcons or another team would be interested in him going forward? Is it a one-year thing, or could this cost him his entire career? I don't think this is going to cost him his entire career, right? There are very, very serious uh, things that, that unfortunately happen uh, among the, the NFL fraternity where guys get less punishment, uh, that guys get those second and third opportunities in many cases. And so I think that Calvin Ridley, obviously he has to get his mentals right, and that was something that uh, he has been focused on and working on. Uh, you know, he, he's going to have to go through uh, to prove in some way that he doesn't have some gambling problem, and teams are going to have to do their due diligence. But ultimately, is in 2023 he going to play for $11.1 million for the Atlanta Falcons? No, I don't think so. Will they ultimately be able to trade him for less than they would have been able to trade him this week uh, before this news? Yeah, I think that he's going to be getting a fresh start somewhere else, and the Falcons will want some sort of compensation for him. But I don't think by any stretch that his career is done so long as he can you know, get, get uh, everything taken care of that he needs to uh, on his end. Jonathan Jones joining me for a few more moments. All right, so today is the tagging deadline. You've got a piece up on CBSSports.com where you break down a number of stories and a number of the tagging situations. Let me ask you this. As you've written, there's a really interesting situation with the Panthers and a possible Christian McCaffrey trade. How much interest then is there from other teams in him and how motivated are the Panthers to move him? There is interest from multiple teams. I can tell you that multiple teams have contacted the Panthers where general manager Scott Fitterer, remember back last season where he was making deals, making deals for Sam Darnold and C.J. Henderson and Stephon Gilmore. He says, hey, we're going to be in on every deal. Well, you know, some of those deals aren't the ones you initiate, but the ones that are initiated with you. And so uh, teams have called the Panthers trying to see about their Pro Bowl running back, Christian McCaffrey, a guy who, when healthy, can get you 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards in a season, but health 
is the issue, of course. And so he's only played in 10 of the past 33 games since he signed his record-breaking deal. Uh, I'm told that the Panthers, if they were to ever deal him, they're only picking up the phone if you're offering them something like a first-round pick because they're probably going to have to eat some of that cap hit because he would go to a contending team, right? The Detroit Lions aren't calling uh, the Carolina Panthers, to my knowledge, asking for Christian McCaffrey. So I don't think that this is at a boil uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but as we get closer to free agency and maybe even a little past free agency in mid-March, we might see this start to materialize. All right, so finally, Jonathan, based on your reporting, where do things stand with Deshaun Watson and a potential trade? I, I'll tell you, I'm only hearing crickets right now. And he, I think we all know very serious uh, legal matters that he has going on and the very serious allegations against him. And uh, while some of, that are, some of that is a civil complaint and complaints, there's still the legal, the criminal, potential criminal element that is involved. And until that gets uh, figured out, until anyone knows which way uh, that's going to go, and he still hasn't been deposed, there's really no way that you can send off two or three first-round draft picks in order to retain his services, not to mention you don't know if he'd be eligible to play for half the season or something like that. And so until that gets figured out, and that's the huge it, until that gets hemmed up, there's no way that a team is going to trade for him. So we're not any closer right now to a Deshaun Watson trade today than we were a couple of months ago. So one bonus thing off the board, as a proud UNC alum, where did Saturday's win over Coach K in his final home game rank for you personally? In terms of regular season wins, I don't think that uh, you, like, there's no number two that's even close to it, right? I mean, all of the pomp and celebration that went into that game and, and the farewell tour and letting us know back in June that this would be it just so that, well, you know, he did it for recruiting purposes, but he didn't want any of this attention, Jim. Remember that. He didn't want any of this. And so, but of course, in the handshake line, all the coaches are upset that uh, Carolina didn't give him any attention in the final game in the Dean Dome. It was fantastic. I was so happy for the guys and for Hubert Davis, who, you know, it's been a tough season for Hubert in that first year, uh, getting that win and what it means. It's a, it's a moment that they'll never forget. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Armando Baycott is my guest. Armando, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I was surprised yesterday when they told me I would get a chance to be on this show. I, I was like, is he really trying to interview me? But I forgot we got this big win. Brother, let me tell you something. I was surprised yesterday when they said that you said yes to coming on the show to be interviewed by me. So this is perfect, man. I love it. It's great to have you on. Listen, I know you're already focused on the next game, but can you take me back to that game on Saturday, knowing that it was Coach K's final home game and that they beat you by 20 in your house a month earlier? What was the mood and the mindset among the players going into that game at Duke? Yeah, well, really, we just had to stand our ground. We knew it would be a crazy atmosphere just with it being Coach K's last game. We knew it would be a lot of noise, a lot of former players coming back, celebrities and all that. But our main focus all week was, hey, we had to win the fight and win the game, but some was going to go down on Saturday. We didn't like our outcome when we played them here, and we just really wanted to just win that game. 
I'll tell you what else. You started that game off with a dunk, and then you pretty much sealed it with a dunk at the end. You had a monster game, and then you said afterwards, and I love this quote, I've seen all the stuff on social media, people saying this and that about me. I just knew I was going to come out here today and kick ass. End of quote. Again, I love the quote. How personally did you take that game, and what did it mean to you to be able to dominate the way you did? Yeah, I mean, I took it really personal. A lot of us struggled when we played them here, and I mean, I just saw a lot of different stuff on social media and stuff like that, and things like that really fueled me to just come into this game and really be dominant and really just impose my will. Armando Baycott joining me. Let me ask you this. There was so much of that in not only you, but the entire team. Afterwards, Hubert Davis said that some of that came from a Pat Riley quote. Now, you're kind of a young player, so I don't know if you know that quote. This is a really famous quote. There are times in your life that you're going to have to plant your feet, you're going to have to stand your ground, and you're going to have to fight. It's a famous, famous quote. Had you ever heard that before? And then what did you think when he said it? Yeah, no, I hadn't heard it before, but that was like kind of our thought for the day in practice the whole week. And, I mean, it really just motivated us to go out there and throw the first punch. I mean, I felt like I said before, just here they kind of really dominated us, and we knew that would be a huge chance to just spoil everything by going in there and getting a win. And, I mean, that really just was what we went by, and I feel like that really helped us pull out that game. I love that again, too. You wanted to go out there and make sure you threw the first punch, which you did. Hubert Davis talked about how badly he won that win for you guys. How about the players in the locker room? How badly did you want that win for him? I mean, we, I mean all year, just people have been down us as a team, Coach Davis as a coach, and I mean, just the game he coached was just so beautiful. And we just wanted to go out there and play hard for Coach Davis, but also just the fans, too. I mean, it's North Carolina. It's a big-time university, and we know how the UNC and Duke rivalry is, and we wanted to be able to have bragging rights. And also, our coaches are telling us all week, we pulled off that game, we'll be remembered forever, so... Just glad to be a part of history, I guess. Armando Baycott joining us. Let me ask you something like that. It, the rivalry is so fierce and the environment is so fierce. What was it like to go in there that day? Just you guys, just your bench against, you know, 18,000, all the famous alums, all the celebrities, and shut that arena up. What's that feel like? Man, it was the best feeling in the world just because – the trajectory and just everything that was going on at that game, just seeing all the former players just be quiet towards the end of the game and all the famous people just being able to celebrate on their floor at that moment, I mean, it was crazy. It was an unbelievable feeling. What about this? I know you FaceTimed with Roy Williams after the game. What was that conversation like? What does he mean to you? Man, I mean, it meant the world just because the way he retired, he really didn't get a chance to, you know, nobody knew what he was doing, so... Just for us to win that game, and I mean, I know how much he doesn't like Duke. I mean, it was just special. So, Armando, if we were to go back to the start of the season, Coach Davis said that, quote, you've got to be the leader of this team. That's a quote. How did you approach that role of being a leader? Yeah, I mean, it was just learning how to be a leader all throughout the season. I mean, my first two years as a freshman and sophomore, so I really didn't have that much of a leadership role. But just throughout this year, just through losses and wins, kind of just learned how to step into that role. I mean, we found in ourselves, and I feel like me as a leader, I'm in a good spot right now. All right, speaking of that point, the losses. Earlier this year, the team had fallen to 4-3 and three in conference play. There were questions about whether or not the team would make the NCAA tournament. Since then, you've gone 11-2. and two. What has been the biggest change over the course of the season for the team? Just playing together and trusting in each other. Early on in the season, I mean, we got new coaching staff, a lot of new players, so... We really were just learning each other, but now as the season has progressed, and especially through that 
run in the ACC, we've just been growing as a team and just really trusting each other, and it's been helping us defensively and offensively. I mentioned at the very top, you're 17 and 13 per game per average. You've been a double-double machine this year. People can buy your glass cleaning crew T-shirts. So how would you describe your mentality when it comes to rebounding? How much of that is about skill and about technique, and then how much of that is just about heart and desire and grit? Yeah, I mean, rebounding, I feel like it's just something that you just got to have in you. I mean, I look at guys like Dennis Rodman, Giannis, Shaquille O'Neal, guys like that are really good at rebounding. I mean, it's really a skill, but it's something that we can't really be taught. You just got to have a knack for the ball. And I just love rebounding because also offensively it gives us a chance, you know, to extend the plays and defensively it gives us a chance to stop the plays. And, I mean, that's just a huge part of basketball. And just coming into North Carolina, starting off with Will Williams, that's one of the big things that he emphasized in me coming in. And, I mean, ever since then, I've really just fallen in love with it. So let me ask you this. You could have entered the draft after last season, but you did decide to come back to school. What was that decision-making process like for you? And then ultimately, why did you decide to come back? Yeah, I just feel like it was a lot left on the table in North Carolina. There was a lot of stuff that I didn't get to experience just with my first two years being tough and then COVID and all that. And then also, I just kind of wanted to cement a legacy here and just be able to get like, a signature win like I got. On Saturday, I mean, it was one of the huge things is trying to leave a legacy here in North Carolina. All right, so what about that? Before you go, when you talk about legacy, there's something really special about Carolina basketball and the bonds between the players throughout the years. What's it mean to be a part of the program and have those bonds? I mean, it means everything. I mean, if I would have told myself 10, 15 years ago that I would even be playing at this level in North Carolina, I wouldn't even be able to believe it to just be able to play at the same building as Michael Jordan, Vince Carter, Antoine Jameson. Guys like that, I mean, it's just a special feeling. Glad you mentioned Anton Jamison. That's such a good dude. I used to always have him on the program back in the day. Such a good, good dude. So you're waiting to find out your opponent for Thursday's game. Knowing that, what are you and the rest of the team doing between now and then as you wait to find out who you're going to play? Uh, we'll probably watch a little film today, looking at some of the good things we did on Saturday and some of the bad things we did, and then also just sticking to just working on our plays, fixing a little bit of things on defense and just tweaking everything. Just trying to, you know, you never know who you're playing in the ACC tournament just with so many great teams, so we just got to be ready. In the meantime, coming off an all-time win, they're number 25 in the AP poll, 23-8 and eight overall, 15-5 and five in conference play. And my man, of course I came looking for you after that big one. I'm glad you came on the program. Great talking to you, Armando. Thanks so much. Good luck. We'll do it again for sure. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. A lot. Good night!